many times not to receive any recognition or thanks. May God use mothers to catalyze the church with their godly example, their faithful example. And that's a theme that I want to give you uh, today. I don't know how indescribable ended up on that. <laughs> oh, that's funny, though. Uh, boldness continued is the name of our sermon today. Boldness continued. So faithful examples catalyze bold Christian witness. Faithful examples catalyze bold Christian witness. There you go. Kyle's getting it fixed on the spot. This is real time. The theme, faithful examples catalyze bold Christian witness. If you want to say it a different way, God uses faithful examples to catalyze bold Christian witness. Verse 23 really carries us into the next scene, but it's all connected to the lame beggar, so don't lose the context. The priests and the elders delivered the threats because that's all they could do. Remember, they thought they were going to be putting pressure on Peter and John, and then the, the, the tables have turned. They're under pressure. They couldn't take any action against Peter and John. It wasn't going to help their cause. Remember what they said to him: Speak no more in this name, which is the name of Jesus. And so... Peter and John, they bring report to the rest of the believers. All, this, all these believers are likely already together praying for Peter and John, praying for the situation. And the report is what leads to this early church to seek boldness from the Lord God. Now, I think it's worth noting what doesn't happen here. Peter and John don't come back and then they say, oh, well, Peter and John, like, like let's put together... Let's put together some seminars on boldness on mission. No seminars on boldness. No, no book deals. Hey, Peter, will you, will you sign my copy of, of boldness? How to face persecution? Whatever. No, we don't, do, we, we don't see that. We don't, we don't see them responding this way. There's no boldness conferences. There's no boldness movie scripts. And I say all that to say, it sounds goofy saying that to you here and now, but that is exactly how we respond to stuff like this. We think, oh, well, how can we commercialize this? How can we make this and multiply this and sell this? We're tempted to think that these are the ways that God advances his kingdom. But no, we cannot. We cannot believe that. God does not give us that confidence. You know how the kingdom advances? Oh, it's so boring, isn't it? Faithful Christians dependent on the Lord, walking in obedience. That is a novel idea. Peter and John, there's no campaign coming out of this, only the local church saying, we're going to do what God told us to do. But you say, Matt, that's not a product that sells. It's what God said to do. It's what God said works. Look at what they do in response. Verse 23, 24. They pray, asking for boldness. They lifted their voices together. Now, I hope you're reading that and you're like, what exactly happened here? 
Because I read it and I'm like, this is either like a Holy Spirit wrought miracle or this was Luke's like just trying to capture what was said in this prayer. Or maybe as Kyle suggested this week, maybe it's something that sort of developed like a, like a catechism, like a, a, a liturgy of sorts. And we don't really know the point here is their unity. And that unity is expounded in the next section that we'll cover next week. We see this company of believers, this early church, unified in their plea to God for boldness, nothing else. Give us boldness. So just like they were catalyzed, we want to be catalyzed. So let's look at these, what these faithful examples lead us to do. First off, address the sovereign Lord. They lead us to address the sovereign Lord. Verses 24 to 28. Now, if you're, if you're tracking these verses, then you notice that most of the prayer is an address to God. They're dwelling on or recounting the character and work of God. And while we learn to prioritize boldness as they did in our Christian witness, we could also take some cues from them on the way that they pray. They address the sovereign Lord, and they address him in these ways. First off, he is Lord over creation. Kyla, are my notes not coming through up there? Man, that's frustrating. They address the sovereign Lord as Lord over creation. Notice what they say. Who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. So they're praying for boldness, but they root their request in the God who created everything. And this is a thoroughly Old Testament type of request. You can look back in some of the prayers in the Old Testament. They're, they're framed exactly like this. But if you look into what they're actually saying, then like all the things in them. So like what do the fish of the sea and the animals of the land and the stars of the heavens, like what did they have to do with God granting boldness? I would say if, if, if God can create 32,000 species of fish that we're aware of by speaking, which I thoroughly believe that he did, then he can handle upping your boldness a little bit, right? Furthermore, if you're going to make a request of God, why not join these Christians laying the foundation of your request upon the truth that God created all things. You know, all of us who feel like we're still learning how to pray, and somebody would say it, yeah, I feel like I stumble all over myself. Like when I try to pray and pray in front of people, it's like, ah, oh, I can't do it. Look at what they do. Just, just Open your mouth and remind yourself and anyone listening about the majestic creative power of God who makes all things happen by his word. Acknowledge that he has the power to grant your request and do it without doubting. You made all this, Father. I know you can do this. Give us boldness. They address the sovereign Lord as Lord over Creation, they address him also as Lord of Revelation. Lord of Revelation. So you notice what they do. They recount God's own words 
in their prayer. They look into scripture to see what God has already said about these things. And so they say, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then they quote the first two verses of Psalm 2. Some of y'all remember we have sung Psalm 2 uh, the past few years. Here's, Here's what they quote. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Here's what you need to know from Psalm 2. The order, the structures, societies, nations, leaders in the world, the normal disposition of all worldly systems is set against the one true God. And when possible, all of these things will in some way ally themselves with others, even enemies, in a united front against God. They unite against his word, against his character, against his works. If you look on your TV, you see the united front against God. And I think if you are are able, forget who we had this conversation with recently, you see how in order to attack God, at least in our society very clearly, they attack the image of God. That we have been stamped with the image of God. If they can destroy the image and say that we are not made in God's image, then they can eventually, in their estimation, do away with God. Nothing unifies like a common enemy, as one writer said. And you ought to be aware right now that the spirit of Antichrist is at work in turning those world systems into the most elaborate schemes against God and against his people that have ever been devised. These early Christians understood it then. You see, they're looking at it. They're like, this situation with Jesus, that's Psalm 2. You got Herod, the kings of the earth. You got Pilate, the rulers. And you have Christ, the anointed, with the nations present for this. They understood the event of Jesus' execution as evidence of the Psalm 2 reality. So in your prayer, maybe, Your prayer for boldness. Ask the question, what has God said about this? And then pray in alignment with that. He's the Lord over creation. He's the Lord of revelation. He has spoken to these things. And if we get right there, if we stop right there, then we might become worried. We might be kind of downcast. Everybody's against God. Oh, no. (laughs) And some of us, we kind of live our lives and we talk like that. You remember when we were walking through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, we talked about alarmists. We don't want to have that alarmist mentality. We're people of faith in the triune, sovereign God. We're not alarmists. We ought to be realistic because we know what he has said. So take heart, 
This Lord of creation, this Lord of revelation is also the Lord in providence. That is, he is involved in everything that happens. He's the Lord in providence. Follow what they say. This company gathered together against Jesus. Verse 28. Oh, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you see what's happening? It's as though they're saying, God, the nations have their wicked ways devoted to your downfall, dead set on doing away with your rule and any record of you, but you're in control. Now, we can, we can, we can deep dive into the, the heavy-duty thoughts, and I, I would encourage you to do so. Deep dive into the heavy-duty thoughts about how all these people are trying to do their worst to Jesus, their worst to God, and in the end, God has his way. You know, the Bible has told us about this. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it, he turns it, the king's heart... He turns it wherever he will. Daniel 2.21, God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Psalm 22.28, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Ephesians 1, 11, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Acts 17, 26, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Did you know, did you know, not only does God have your days numbered, but he has the, he has the measurements of your house down to the millimeter. And he said, that's what's going to happen. John 19, 10 and 11, to go visit real quick what Pilate, Jesus said to one another, Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Let me go back to Psalm 2. I love this. I love this. Man, y'all are so quiet today. 
Where's Raul when I need him? Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Verse 4. He who sits in heaven laughs. Ha, ha, ha. You thought you had control. (laughs) He who sits in heaven laughs at them. He laughs at them. He laughs at kings. He laughs at presidents. He laughs at nations that think they have power. He laughs at them. If you've been living with the notion that God is an aloof God, a a distant God, a God who sets things in motion and then just kind of backs away, you're not believing in the God of the Bible. You're not believing in the God of history. You're not believing in the God of providence. And they say, you do whatever your hand Does that sound like somebody that's uninvolved? You do whatever your hand, whatever your hand would do. You do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. Now, I know some folks squirm a little bit when they hear that God does whatever he pleases, including the divine orchestration of human actions. Let me say that again. Some people say, oh, God orchestrates the events of human history. He orchestrates human action. That is what we're reading, folks. And it's not just the first time that he has said this. At Pentecost, he said it. You know, this Jesus, you crucified according to the sovereign plan of God. So if you squirm a little bit at the thought of predestination, I would tell you today that it ought not be a concern like, oh no, God is in control. Do you think about that for a moment? Who in here would honestly say, oh no, God is in control? No, God's sovereign providence ought to be the reason for you to worship today and not get offended by God. Be thankful he controls it all and that you don't because you would mess everything up. You would mess everything up. One commentator says here, in the paradox of human responsibility and divine sovereignty, despite all the raging of humanity, God's purposes prevail. They did so in Christ, and he says, they did so with the apostles before the Sanhedrin. Oh, most of the prayer was this first point. So it's short from here on out. 
Second, second thing that these faithful examples lead us to do, beyond addressing the sovereign Lord, they lead us to make the best requests. They lead us to make the best requests. This is verses 29 and 30. So all this address to God, talking about what he has done, what he's going to do, the confidence they have in him is just the preamble to their actual request, which is very brief, very simple. And so finally the request comes in their prayer. Look upon their threats. So it's like, just like they did Jesus, they're doing to us, we get this, God, you knew about this, you see their threats, you know their threats, Lord, better than we do. And here I think, maybe we can glean a little bit by noticing what they do not ask for. We want to make the best request here, going to God in prayer. Notice that they don't pray for deliverance. Oh God, would this persecution end in this persecution? They don't pray for deliverance. They don't ask for intervention. They don't pray, as we learned this morning, imprecatory prayers, that is, to Uh, to see God curse our enemies. They don't pray these prayers against their enemies. And all of these things David did in the Psalms, and those prayers are not wrong, but they recognize that the prophetic word of Jesus was being fulfilled in them, that the world would hate them, mock them, accuse them, flog them, imprison them, persecute them, kill many of them. They knew this was coming. So to pray against persecution would be to pray against what Jesus told them was going to happen. Rather than trying to undo the word of Jesus, they say, you have a boldness for it. Boldness. God grant your servants boldness. Grant your service to continue to speak the word with all boldness. This is the best request, people. This is the best request. Grant more boldness. I'll ask you, when's the last time you prayed for boldness in the church's witness and in your own witness? When did you ask God for boldness to speak the word? For me in my own life, I think there's some confirmation from the Lord. Months ago, I began using a, a prayer app. I'll share, share it with you later if you want to know about it. I began using a prayer app on my phone, and two things I started praying for regularly months ago. I didn't look at Acts chapter 4 to figure this out. Number one, opportunities to share the gospel. Number two, boldness in doing so. And now we read. Now we read how the local church was emboldened by these examples. In another list for Cedarview, on the same app, I began praying for a number number of things, one of which is conversion growth. Conversion growth. You all know I am happy when people come to church here that already believe. I trust you're coming for good reasons. Uh, We're delighted to have you, those who have come. A lot of you have come since I've been the pastor here, and you already believed in Jesus. You were already saved. Most of you members of another local church. Now, I thank God for that, but that's not kingdom growth. And so I'm not happy with just 
uh, trading sheep. You've heard me say before, I'm not happy with just trading sheep with other churches because what it means is if we have more sheep, they have less sheep. And that doesn't do a whole lot for the kingdom. And so what I'm praying for, what I've been praying for, what I hope you're praying for is conversion growth. And, you know, I haven't seen the Lord answer my prayers in the way that I thought he would. I'm praying for opportunities. I hope you are too. I'm praying for boldness, and it just hasn't happened like I thought it would. I'm trying. And then the Lord just sends us random people. It feels random. That's just my human way of trying to describe it. But God is doing what he will. Is it possible that we are praying for something and God is answering that prayer in a little bit different way? I want to invite you to join me for, in, in your prayer opportunities to share the gospel, boldness in sharing the gospel. Pray that God would advance this local church by saving souls. Brand new Repenting and believing babies in Jesus so we can see them grow up to maturity, to that mature manhood, Ephesians 4. It seems that boldness is the one request they make, but it's supported by all the work that they know God is responsible for. You see it right there. You outstretch your hand, Lord. You heal. Signs and wonders are performed through the name of Jesus. They're like, God, you do all the heavy lifting. Do all the heavy lifting. And they realize that bold mission is their priority, so they seek it in the sovereign Lord. This is their request, the best request. Address the sovereign Lord. Make the best requests. You're doing a good job with my note. Kyle is making this up as we go. Make the best requests. And then number three, very briefly, <clears throat> and I want to I wanna deliver this with as much grace because I know I need the grace too. Verse 31, continue in obedience. Address the sovereign Lord. Make the best requests. And their examples lead us to continue in obedience. Verse 31. The presence of the Holy Spirit is renewed in them. It comes with a bit of evidence. The place shook. The place shook. And in the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit, what does it say they did? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I think the key word here is continued. The key word here is continued. See this. The key word in your life is continued. They weren't huddled in a closet somewhere waiting. They're already doing it. These people really, we can, we can look at Peter and John and we can look at these people, the early church, and they set the example for us, the obedient example. The pattern of the early church ought to direct us in our mission. So let's plead with God for boldness by all means. We need boldness. However, listen close. I hope we don't have the audacity 
I hope we don't have the audacity to ask him for boldness, but have no intention of opening our mouths with the gospel this week. If we're not walking in obedience to the mission he's already sent us on, then church, a prayer for boldness is a waste of breath. A a sermon on boldness is a waste of a Sunday morning. Unfortunately, we're often silent in the world having no need of kings and rulers to say, speak no more in his name. They're over there saying, man, I'm so thankful for all these quiet Christians who just keep their mouths shut. If this describes us, if this describes you, we need not pray for boldness today. We need to pray for revival. We need to pray that God would break through stony hearts and change us. Churches silent about the gospel. There's no other way to say it. Churches silent about the gospel are dead churches. But if we are diligent in the discipline of evangelism, if we are active on mission, ready to speak the word, given the opportunity, then let us pray for boldness from on high. God, do it. Give us boldness. There may be some ways we can respond today. First off, it might be you taking this prayer into your prayer, saying, God, I need to figure this out because I'm really quiet on mission. Today, maybe <clears throat> repentance. Today, maybe it's, God, I need to be transformed. Some of you today, it is turning to Jesus Christ for salvation. It's to confess him publicly by being baptized. It's to say, this is who I belong to. This is my mission, that he shed his blood for me. And I will give my life to make his name known. Would you say that today and be saved? Many ways we may respond. Let's ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. I'll be down front. If you need to speak with me or pray with me. Sovereign Lord, 